First Kings chapter 11, uh, verses 26 through 28, um, King Jeroboam the first, who obviously, uh, he came into power when Rehoboam made the very uh, foolish statement uh, to bring heavier burdens upon those of Israel. The ten tribes said, enough of this, uh, we're out of here. And I totally understand them. Solomon did impose great taxes, great labors, uh, and there seemed to be even some prejudice upon uh, against all of those who were not of Judah. And so with this, uh, this cultural bias, the people saw through his charades and said, we don't want a part of it. Now this was obviously an act of God uh, for the sins of Solomon with his 700 wives, 300 concubines, his idolatrous practices. I mean, Chemosh and Molech and all of these things he allowed back in the land. Solomon was wise, but at the same time he was quite uh, foolish. Here in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 26, And Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephratite, of Zerida, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow woman, even he lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the cause that he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built Millo and repaired the breaches of the city of David, his father. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing the young man that was industrious, he made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. So Solomon sees Jeroboam, he says, my, this man is a mighty man of valor, this man is wise, he, he's industrious, he knows what he's doing, he's smart, he's a, he's a tremendous leader. In fact, he'd become a very popular leader. Uh, he'd, you know, the people's battle and champion, he championed their causes. You know, but you ask Jeroboam about his faith, and it might have been a little bit foggy if you ask him about the Lord. He had lived in Egypt long enough to develop a tolerance toward idolatry as well as an understanding of how religion uh, can be used to control the people. In the skill, uh, Jeroboam was one with Nebuchadnezzar, Herod Agrippa, and the Antichrist, in today's uh, latest demagogue. So he listened to the people. He was much like Aaron there in Exodus, who listened to the people and said, uh, uh, Moses is gone, up, make us gods, and, and these are the gods that took us out of Egypt. I mean, they just totally blasphemed. He listened to the people. And so in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25, we're going to read through verse 33, Jeroboam was a man, he was a new king, but it was old sins. I mean, there was nothing new under the sun with him. So in verse 25 of 1 Kings chapter 12, then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and dwelt therein, and went out from thence, and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. They shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made an house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar, so did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. So the fact is, the issue is he doesn't believe the promises of God. 
Success in life during God's will and trusting God's promises, you know, success really does depend on doing God's will. It depends on trusting God's promises. Uh, but Jeroboam, he did not do God's will. Number two, he didn't trust God. When Ahijah uh, gave Jeroboam God's message that guaranteed him the throne of the kingdom of Israel, chapter 11, verses 28 through 39, we won't read that, but Ahijah comes to him and says, listen, if you're willing, he told him, he says, listen, Solomon's sinning, you're running for your life, he gives him a cloak, he rips it up into 12 pieces, he gives 10 to Jeroboam and said, this is God's promise to you, you will maintain power over these 10 tribes if you'll honor the Lord. What a wonderful promise. I mean, God could have given him the entire uh, kingdom. And, and the fact is, Jeroboam, he doesn't, he doesn't keep God's promises. He doesn't trust God. Now, God could have given him the entire kingdom, all 12. But God made a promise to David, the Davidic covenant, that there will always be on the throne of Israel uh, someone, one of your descendants. Now, Jesus is that final descendant on the throne. 2 Samuel 7 discusses this. So this protects the messianic line, uh, and so God takes away ten tribes. And this should have, you know, very thinking about this, if Jeroboam receives the ten tribes, this should have been a warning. Hey, Solomon deviated from God. Why is it that we can look at the disaster in someone else's life and be like, oh my, but yet down the road we end up making some same foolish mistakes. Maybe not the exact same, but there's still a lack of trust. We get our eyes off the Lord and we begin to look at the circumstances. I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. It's kind of amazing the way the Lord works. We'll be talking about trust in the morning service. And uh, God just put the message together amazing. Uh, uh, it wasn't the direction I was aiming to go, but it was incredible what God did. So in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. He saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Jeroboam had a fear. And you know what? This can happen. He has a fear that the southern kingdom will attack him. That because the true worship was to happen in Jerusalem, that people would desert him. So because of his fear of envy, because of envy and fear of loss of power, what did he hold dearest to him? It was power, which obviously equaled also money. The law appointed that Jerusalem was the only place to sacrifice, Deuteronomy 12. He commanded all Jewish men to go back to Jerusalem three times a year to observe the appointed feasts. What if the people decided to remain uh, in Judah and not return to Israel? I mean, all of these thoughts are going through Jeremiah's head. Even if they return north after worshiping, how long would the people decide, I want to keep going back to I mean, I mean, I'm way up in Dan. i got to go all the way down to Jerusalem. I mean, it's just like a long trek. 
how long are we going to do this? Why don't we just move closer to Jerusalem? Get out of the north, come back. To, why, why don't we do this? You know, so Jeroboam's thinking, how long will the people's patience uh, go with this? Jeroboam, recall the plight of, of Saul, his, you know, David's successor, uh, uh, predecessor, excuse me. And, uh, you know, Saul's successor, Ishbosheth, his son, who tried to rule over the ten northern tribes, uh, but he failed and he was slain, 2 Samuel 4. I mean, Ishbosheth comes to shout a power for a short time before he's finally abandoned and he's killed. It didn't work out too well for him. So Jeroboam is, how do I unite the kingdom to keep them in the north and keep me in power? It's kind of like politicians today, how do I stay in power? Not how do I help the people? But if there was ever a popular movement in those 12 tribes to unite them all back again, I mean, Jeroboam's a dead man. So we find in verse 25, there in 1 Kings chapter 12, and an adversary, or excuse me, verse, chapter 12. So he builds Shechem and Mount Ephraim, and he built Penuel. So like Solomon, like Rehoboam, King Jeroboam fortified his capital Shechem and strengthened other key cities. Penuel, or Peniel as also uh, seen, was east of the Jordan and was famous as a place where Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord, Genesis 32. Jeroboam later would move his capital from Shechem to Terza in chapter 14, verse 17. Or perhaps he had a second place there. Instead of trusting the Lord as his shield and defender, Jeroboam trusted his own defense and strategy. So in verses 26 through 33, we find Jeroboam instituting substitutes for the Lord. So the easiest solution to his problem is to get the people's loyalty from God unto himself. So if, how do I get them to put a loyalty upon me. I put a worship center. And, and, I give, and I'm a prominent figure in that worship. But he has no authority to devise a religion when the Jews had received their form of worship from God alone. And we just dealt with that here in the church uh, not a few weeks ago in regards to the commandments. God gave specific commands for the tabernacle and how to be built. I mean, every aspect, every facet, every fastener, every uh, clamp. God gave everything. I mean, even to the clothing, how to approach it, God gave every detail for the tabernacle. He gave it for the temple. He gave it, he's given it to the New Testament churches. So what right does Jeroboam have to devise a new religion? He couldn't build a temple with the opulence of Solomon. He doesn't have the wealth or the means to do that. He couldn't write a law that matches Moses's, which was received from Jehovah God. He can't write a, a system of religion, of a sacrificial system that guarantees forgiveness of sin. He can't do that. He wasn't Moses. He couldn't have, he couldn't see, he couldn't claim to be God. So Jeroboam takes advantage of his people's tendency to turn towards idolatry. You know, that's exactly what we do today. He tries to take a worship of God and make it convenient. Not too costly. Don't get too close enough. I want them comfortable where they're at. 
I want to appease their conscience. He doesn't tell them to forget Jehovah, but to worship God in the form of a golden calf. In both Egypt and the land of Canaan, the king had statues of calves and bulls that were supposed to be holding up invisible forms of the gods. The pagan religions that Jeroboam decides to copy, calves and bulls symbolize fertility. What does he do? I mean, you find verse 28, whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, Is it too much for you to go up to Jerusalem? Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. That's exactly what happened in Exodus. These are the gods that got you out of Egypt. What absolute blasphemy to God. I mean, that is the spit in God's face. To, I mean, just totally kick God to the curb, saying everything you've done for us, we're completely ungrateful, and you know what? We, we're going to make a religion that's comfortable for us. He turns his back on the important message of Sinai. Israel's Lord Jehovah is a God who is seen and heard. I mean, who's, who is heard, excuse me, but he's not seen or touched. I mean, we find in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, hearing God's word, it generates faith. Romans 10, 17. The people wanted something they could touch, and they wanted something they could see. But when you begin to form an idol, just as Jeroboam does, you are putting whatever God that is in a box to conform to your standard, and you're you're actually the ultimate authority. All idolatry, all paganism... Puts man as the authority. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It involves faith. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith is impossible to please him. Right? Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Most people don't want to live by faith. We want to walk by sight, and we want to gratify our senses. You know what? It's difficult to walk by faith. Because it involves taking steps into the dark where I don't know where I'm going. Someone else is leading. I want you to look with me at Exodus 32. I want to show you a parallel account of how Israel, in very similar circumstances, did the exact same thing as Jeroboam is doing here. Exodus 32. COVID really displayed a lot of, I would say, Baal worship. People became comfortable making God in a way that fit their schedule. In Exodus chapter 32, I want you to read with me verses 1 through 8. Moses, I want you to remember, Moses is on Mount Sinai now getting the Ten Commandments. He's been up there. It's a 40-day period, 40 days fasting, talking with God. So they have just a 40-day period, even less than that. Verse 1, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down, verse 1 of Exodus 32, saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together into Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. 
And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. That's all caps, so that's saying tomorrow is a feast to Jehovah. They rose up early in the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. I mean, God heard their words. He's hurt. And rightfully so. It's unbelievable But unfortunately, Christians do the same exact thing today. When God doesn't work in the exact way we want, God doesn't do exactly what we think ought to happen, we begin to go the route of comfort and convenience over the route of faithfulness. Jeroboam goes even better. Rather than making one, he makes two calves. One at Bethel, and the other on the farthest southern border. Why? Because he does not want people leaving that kingdom. He makes it just a short distance from Jerusalem, the other at Dan or the farthest northern border. In Hosea chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, if you want to look here, look at Hosea. It talks about this. There in the minor prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Hosea chapter 8. Hosea chapter 8, verse 5. It says, Thy calf, O Samaria, hath cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against thee. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? Verse 6. For from Israel was it also, the workman made it. Therefore it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. They put a calf here in Samaria. And if you remember back in Exodus, the people rose up to drink. And to play. It's about pleasure. Hosea 13, verse 2. Verses 2 and 3. And now they sin more and more and have made, and made them molten images of their silver and idols according to their own understanding. All of it, the work of the craftsmen, they say of them, let the men that sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore they shall be as the morning cloud, as the early dew that passeth away, as the chaff that is driven with the whirlwind out of the floor, and as a smoke out of the chimney. They make idols according to their own understanding. Worshiping the Lord can't be more convenient. If you can make God the way you want him to be, it's pretty convenient. I mean, he says it's too much for the people to go to Jerusalem. It's just too far. I'll make an easy way for you. And the people were willing to believe him because of his position. I mean, God had appointed him, right? And he did. 
The king built shrines at Bethel and Dan and allowed the people to make their own high places closer to home. By royal fiat, he gave a do-it-yourself religion. It's the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel of today. It's the I don't, I can choose to serve God however and wherever I want. Rather than what God says. It gets back to the same attitude as that of the judges. Remember, judges is a period that was just past the days when Joshua and the elders that were with him had all ceased. So all those who saw the wonders of God in Canaan land and and in that whole period of time that God's power was mightily expressed, Judges 17, let's look at Judges. We're going to look at several passages here in Judges. It's been an interesting study going through here at 1 Kings. Very reminiscent of the day with which we live. Judges chapter 17, verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The only person who's in opposition is the one who wants to serve God. Look at chapter 18, verse 1. In those days there was no king in Israel, And in those days the tribe of the Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in, for unto that day all their inheritance had not fallen into them among the tribes of Israel. Chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim who took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. That is a gross story there of that guy. That really is gross. I mean, it's disgusting what happens there. This man takes a concubine, he goes to his father-in-law's house, he goes into a place of Benjamin, they want him to come out, being sodomites, he gives her unto them, they violate her all night until she's dead, and then he takes her, her body, he cuts it up into 12 pieces and sends it out to the tribes of Israel. I mean, just gross. And it, it results in the Benjamites fighting against the rest of the tribes in a great loss of life. Uh, it's, I mean, it's just gross the thought of it of what those men had done to that woman judges 21 25 in those days there was no king in israel every man did that which was right in his own eyes that is exactly the days we're living in a do-it-yourself religion and they say they're doing it to the lord i mean they gave there in exodus 32 they said we're doing it to jehovah there with jeroboam we're doing it to jehovah And yet the music and the actions and the lifestyle and the theology, which is their doctrine of how they live their life, is completely all focused on oneself. If the Canaanites and the Egyptians could worship calves, so could the Hebrews. And they forget about God's covenant promises and God's commandments. Exodus chapter 20, which is the Ten Commandments. And God spake all these words, chapter 20, verse 1, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's pretty expressive. He says, I'm the one that took you out of Egypt. Not these demi-gods, not these gods that your hands have made. You guys were in bondage. You were absolutely powerless. Next is chapter 20, verse 22. The Lord said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. He shall not make with me 
gods of silver, neither shall you make unto you gods of gold. How much clearer can God be? And so because Jeroboam, uh, with, with his new faith that he's created, much like, I mean, that's the exact same thing. I mean, it, not the exact same thing, but it's similar what King Henry VIII did in creating the Church of England. I don't want to, I mean, the Catholic Church was already far gone. It was a wicked, wicked organization and still is. I mean, it's absolutely apostate. But King Henry VIII comes out of the Catholic Church. I'm going to do it my own way. And it's still apostate. Both of them are. But, so Jeroboam says, I need ministers. So he appoints all kinds of people to serve as priests at the altars of Dan and Bethel. Look with me at 1 Kings 13.33. And then we'll go over to 2 Chronicles 11. 1 Kings 13.33. Verse 33, 1 Kings 13. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again... Of the lowest of the people, priests of the high places. Now, whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. We just dealt with on Wednesday night the testings or the proving of elders. What does God require for a pastor? What does he do? It says, made of the lowest of the people. He didn't take into account any prerequisites that God required. He didn't take into account any uh, of a desire. I mean, it was the Levites, it was the priests, it was Aaron's sons. I mean, God was very specific. And then even of Aaron's sons, uh, Nadab and Abihu, who went astray, God killed them. You know what? Idolatry, it's okay. And we see this in churches today. I was just reading this article came out today, or this, this week, uh, David Cloud, and he mentioned that a lot of the Southern Baptist churches are incorporating women pastors into their services, and they're okay with it. God help us to continue to keep the standards that God set. I want you to look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 13. It's not being sexist. It's being obedient. And there are some that are under the proclaiming the name of Christ, and they're ordaining, ordaining women, they're ordaining sodomites, they're ordaining all these uh, lifestyles that are in complete contradiction to God. That is Baal worship. That is not Christianity. 2 Chronicles eleven thirteen. And the, uh, and the priests and the Levites that were in all Israel resorted to him out of all their coasts. Verse 14, 2 Chronicles uh, eleven fourteen. Give you a second turn there. I would say we're living in very similar days to this. It was in these days that judgment, there was never a good king upon Israel. Every one of their kings was evil. 
Now, Judah had, good, had a few good kings, but Israel, they were all evil. In verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 11, and the, For the Levites left their suburbs and their possession and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had cast them off from executing the priest's office unto the Lord. And he ordained him priests for the high places and for the devils and for the calves which he had made. And after them, out of all the tribes of Israel, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice the Lord God of their fathers. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong three years. For three years they walked in the way of David and Solomon. So those who actually want to serve God, they left. But I want you to notice the phrase here, and I just want to take a quick little rabbit trail on this. So we find he ordained him priests for the devils. Now, in Daniel chapter 3, verse 25, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. They are in the fiery furnace. Now, in the modern translations, they will say, and I'll give you here in just a second, Daniel 3.25, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. That's Jesus. But the modern translations will put, the form is like the sons of the gods. The son of the gods. Jesus isn't part of the gods. He's the God. But we find, again, so there's a derivation into this Baal worship, the devils. I mean, it's devil worship. If it's not God, it's devil worship. And they, so Judah says, we're, no, we don't want Jeroboam's idolatrous worship. We don't want any allegiance to him. He doesn't want any part of the Lord, Jehovah, true worship. We're out of here. We're going back to Jerusalem. That's exactly what Jeroboam thought would happen. So these people, these priests and stuff, they're like, I'm out of here. I want to serve God. And thankfully for their right stand. Eventually they would capitulate after three years. Second Chronicles, back there in Second Chronicles 13, verse 9. I only mention that there with Daniel and the fact that uh, these modern translations are changing Jesus from the Son of God to this uh, Son of Gods. Uh, he's not the Son of Gods. There's no plurality of legitimate deities. Second Chronicles 13.9 <clears throat> What is the only requirement that Jeroboam gives? I mean, he has lowered the standard so low. This is why in many of these churches today, there's no standard for who can be their minister. There's no prerequisites of thus saith the Lord. As long as you agree with whatever the ministerial association is or the denomination or whatever, it's okay. If you have enough money, sure, we'll let you be a minister. I mean, look at 2 Chronicles 13, 9. Have ye not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron, and the Levite, and have made you priests after the manner of the nations of other lands, so that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods. As long as you have a bull and seven, uh, seven rams, as long as you have enough money, sure, come on in, you'll be a priest. You'll be a preacher. What are they idolizing? They're idolizing the money... They're not idolizing God. God made it clear that the sons of Aaron, you've totally cast it aside. 
Each candidate was to bring with him, again, the bull and seven rams. God made it clear that Moses' law and only the sons of Aaron could serve as the priests at the altar. Exodus 28, 29, and chapter 40. And if anyone else from the tribes tried to serve, they would be put to death. Look with me at Numbers chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Now I know this might be, some of this might be review for you, but it's a good reminder to us, we've got to do things the way God said. You deviate from it, and you put yourself in real jeopardy. Numbers chapter 3, verse 5. Numbers 3, verse 5. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near, and present them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister unto him. And they shall keep his charge, and the charge of the whole congregation, before the tabernacle of the congregation, to do the service of the tabernacle. And they shall keep all the instruments of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the charge of the children of Israel, to do the service of the tabernacle. Now shall give the Levites unto Aaron and to his sons, they are wholly given unto him out of the children of Israel. And thou shalt appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall wait on the, their priest's office. And the stranger that cometh nigh, what does God say? Shall be put to death. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. God did the ordaining. And God does the ordaining today through local churches. They look at a man, they look at his qualifications. They look at his testimony, they lay their hands upon him, and he's ordained. And they would separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work wherein to have given him, but they did so with prayer and fasting. God still has a way for ordination into the ministry. We overstep those bounds and bring upon ourselves great judgment. Even the Levites, who were from the tribe of Levi, were not allowed to serve at the altar on penalty of death. Numbers chapter 3, verse 38. But those that encamp before the tabernacle toward the east, even before the tabernacle of the congregation eastward, shall be Moses and Aaron and his sons keeping the charge of the sanctuary for the charge of the children of Israel. And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. Only Aaron and his sons. Chapter 4, verse 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Cut ye not off the tribe of the family of the Kohathites from among the Levites, but thus do unto them, verse 18, or 19, that they may live and not die when they approach unto the most holy things. Aaron and his sons, God specific. Son shall go in and appoint them every one to his service and to his burden, but they shall not go in to see when the holy things are covered, lest they die. Chapter 18, Numbers chapter 18. Verse 1. The Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary, and thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. Verse 2 of chapter 18. 
And thy brethren also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of thy father, bring thou with thee, that they may be joined to thee and minister to thee. But thou and thy sons with thee shall minister before the tabernacle of witness, and they shall keep thy charge, and the charge of all the tabernacle. Only they shall not come nigh the vessels of the sanctuary and the altar, that neither they nor ye also die. And they shall be joined unto thee, and keep the charge of the tabernacle of the congregation for all the service of the tabernacle, and a stranger shall not come nigh unto you. And ye shall keep the charge of the sanctuary and the charge of the altar, that there be no wrath any more upon the children of Israel. Whoa! God says, you're bearing the burden. You bear the iniquity of the sanctuary, the iniquity of the priesthood. Unauthorized priests at unauthorized temples would never have access to God. And they would never be acceptable. It was a man-made religion that pleased the people. It was a man-made religion that would protect the king. Except the faithful Levites, they would abandon the northern kingdom, move to Judah to worship God according to the teaching of the scriptures. He ordains priests for him out of the high places, the devils. It's a sad thing when we think about this. The law of Moses required the Jews to celebrate seven divinely appointed feasts each year, Leviticus 23. So Jeroboam institutes a feast for the people of the northern kingdom. The Feast of Tabernacle was scheduled for the seventh month uh, for one full week. A joyous festival when people come together, recall their wilderness years of living in booths, celebrating the goodness of the Lord and giving the harvest. Jeroboam's feast was set in the eighth month, so the people had to choose which one they would attend. This separated the Jews from their counterfeit worshipers in Israel. You can go, uh, sure, you can still go do the, the Feast of Tabernacles, but come back here, we'll have a month of, we'll have a week of feasting. It's going to be a wonderful time. And you don't have to travel. It's convenient. It's comfortable. You'll be around friends and fellows. Why travel all the way to Jerusalem? Stay in Bethel. Stay in Dan. It's much easier. He sets up his own religious calendar, temples, altars, priesthood. And then in 1 Kings chapter 12, going back there. First, Second Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 12. The last sub-point here, and then next week we'll look at the apostasy. 1 <clears throat> Kings chapter 12, verse 31. And he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people which were not of the sons of Levi. 1 Kings 13.32, or 12.32, excuse me, 1 Kings 12.32. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month likened to the feast that is in Judah and he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. Who is the priest here? Jeroboam is. Which he had made. He had made. He had made. You'll find that phrase there used several times. I mean, he's offering incense, blood sacrifices, just as the authorized priests would do. Except God never acknowledges his sacrifice. He sacrifices on the 15th day of the month, just like on the 7th month. In connection 
The sacrifice may have been an imitation on the, uh, uh, you know, the annual day of atonement. Whatever the case. He had all the ingredients needed for a religion. But he lacked the most necessary ingredient. He didn't have God. God was nowhere near that. That leads into great apostasy. It was a manufactured religion. And there's a lot of them today. And a lot even under professing Christianity. I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing. The amount, I mean, you see these ads on YouTube and some other things. Uh, these new Bible studies, Bible studies, Bible studies, Bible studies. And then you look into who, who's doing them and you're like, whoa, they're off in left field. I mean, they are way out there. They're Baal worshippers. Sure, they have the name of God on it, just like they did in Exodus, just like they did here in 1 Kings, but they're nowhere near God. We've got to understand, what does God say for worship? It is our responsibility to not fabricate that which God has created. To follow Him is what we ought to do. Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. God, I thank you for this hour. I thank you for the opportunity as we look at the scriptures. And Father, you give prerequisites to a man called to the office of pastor. It's a high calling. You give prerequisites to true worship. And Father, may we not manufacture it into our own convenience or comfort, but Lord, may we stay faithful. God, I ask that you would just lead us and direct us and guide us, help us to be your ambassadors. Lord, if there's any way that is with which we did that is unbiblical, God, show it to us and help us to turn our hearts in full reverence to Thee. And so, God, I commit this time to You. I love You. I ask You to do what only You can during the morning hour. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.